Objects to observe in the July 2023 night sky on episode 342 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. Have you had any recent observing or astronomy news in your life, Shane? Uh, a little more solar observing, just yeah. hydrogen alpha in the backyard. I, as always, I can't get enough of that. In fact, I just read, I think it was in the BBC, um, uh, sky at night magazine. I think they were saying in there that the, uh, the activity on the sun is, is actually increasing still. So, uh, quite interesting. We're, we're in a great time right now to be observing the sun because of all of this activity. So, even in white light, you know, there's no shortage of sunspot groups and other things to look at. So highly recommend that. But other than some solar, Chris, nothing really at night other than the odd, you know, glance up naked eye in the backyard. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, we're at the uh, solstice here now. I mean, it was actually clear on the solstice and I thought I might go out, but it was just never getting dark. No, I, I woke up at three o'clock last night, just sort of temporary insomnia and uh, looked outside and I just couldn't believe how bright it was at three in the morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was just there. It just, there's no darkness here. Really. There's, there's no darkness here at, uh, at those hours. So no, yeah. no, but you have some other astro news. Yeah. Um, I have a hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's a black hole too even it I is like it is a black hole it looks kind of like a badger hole i just put the i put the image in the show notes in yeah, case yeah. anybody ever wants to take a look at what a telescope pier hole on the side of a hill looks like and uh yeah so we've started the observatory officially after my uh, 19 years of planning <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no time better. Well, you know what they say, the, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. So it's away exactly. you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, yesterday we've, my builder and I, after, after about, uh, almost two weeks of debate, sort of the, this was like the sort of official ribbon cutting ceremony as, as both, uh, uh builder Brent and, and Rebecca independently said is that I should have had a ribbon ceremony <laughs> well you so, need one for the grand opening yeah for the grand opening maybe yeah. but uh yeah i did have a i have a photo of him like kind of you know turning over the sod kind of thing and then he kept the sod as an official reminder but it's an interesting hill the hill is uh i call it cactus hill because it's covered in several hundred if not a thousand or more cactus uh plants and the cactus need to grow on a very uh sort of uh silty soil that has very good drainage and i always wondered how deep that goes and i can tell you that whole hill has really good drainage we've had a lot of rain recently as as i think you recall the past couple of weeks eh? mm-hmm. yep quite a bit we went down almost four feet and it was just like moon dust oh, coming wow. out of that hole there was no rock larger than ooh, i'm gonna say like um you know like dice it was there was the odd rock like the size of a die but for the most part 99.9 percent .9 of this material coming out of the hole was just like flour powdered sugar or something and extremely dry and then originally we had planned to go down three feet um that's sort of what we were told by uh the a uh, couple of people local by who've put other pillars into the same hill 
And uh, he decided to go down about another foot, got down to 40 inches. And there is a lot of sort of the surprising part I was telling you before this is there are some boulders in this hill. And I, we thought originally that when he started digging, he would probably end up having to dig two or three holes because we, we assumed he would hit one of these big boulders uh, at the first time in. But he didn't hit one until he got to about 40 inches or just about four feet. And hmm. so the plan is to uh, stick the pier in and then cement it to that boulder. And then that, that should make a pretty good solid base, we hope. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really promising. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just a hole in the side of a hill right now. And hopefully it can get finished before the snow flies. <laughs> oh, okay. So no, no definitive date on the calendar, just sort of hopefully this, this season, I guess. Yeah. Because, well, there's all kinds of little gutches. I think getting the the pier in and, and getting it, it cemented in and getting the deck built for the observatory. That's, that's all the easy stuff. Maybe that'll even be done by the end of next week. Uh, even maybe getting the walls up soon after that. But then there's there's a few gutches, as anybody knows who, who's done an observatory or visited them, is the roll-off mechanism is a little bit complicated. So we're still kind of debating how that's going to work. And then the orientation, he's going to build it so that it can be rotated. So we're going to do eight by 10 feet. And then we're going to, he's going to have it so that he and, and the other guys helping him can rotate it like so that it's like orientated just the way I want it mm-hmm. before they start building. And then we got to do like the roll off gantry and, and the mechanism for rolling off. And then there's the metal plates and everything that need to attach the mount that I, that I bought it, bought pretty big, almost like, I think it's an observatory class mount. I bought it from somebody who said, what are you going to do with this? You need to have an observatory for it. And I said, yeah, I'm going to build one. And he said, no, really? I said, no, no, I'm having an observatory built. So I have the mount already, but I think just getting it attached to the to the post is is going to be a little bit of a finagling. Maybe not. Maybe everything will go super smooth, and by next new moon, I'll be observing in it. But I'm a little doubtful of that. I think it's probably going to be like September. So yeah, we'll yeah. Well, it'll be nice when it's done. Yeah. So objects to observe this month. One thing maybe we should mention first, we talked about it briefly. You were mentioning this scene is the Noctilucent cloud season is upon us. Yeah, we've been sort of quiet about it this year. I think the last two years we've hyped it up a little bit more. Um, and and I know I've certainly had more observations of it the last two years. I haven't seen it yet this year, no. so I don't know. It doesn't seem to be as active. Um, I don't know why. I, I haven't read about why that might even be. But um, nonetheless, this is the time of the year to look for them. So uh, the best time is, uh, just kind of after sunset, um, and then look, look towards the North on the horizon. And that's typically your best bet. I was wondering if maybe it was a result of the fires that we've had. Um, and I know that some of the fire smoke has made it all the way to like Greenland and Northern Europe and that, and these clouds, I believe if I call correctly, they are clouds that form from the dust from micrometeorites entering the atmosphere and little particles of dust hanging out at extremely high altitudes, getting coated in a thin layer of moisture, um, thin layer of water, that freezing. And then as they sort of travel around the globe, they they will get illuminated by the sun, which is of course never below the horizon once you get so far north. But from here, we're sort of at a latitude where you uh, never get completely dark, but 
it does get more or less dark, but you can still see the, the sun shining off these extremely high altitude clouds. But I didn't know if maybe the smoke was enough to simply just obscure them or what. But in recent years, like you were saying, I think the general trend was they were becoming more and more visible. And then I never even saw anybody online posting images of them or anything. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, hopefully we can get some observations of them this year. I think you need to be probably around 50 degrees North latitude, um, or, or further North, um, in order for this phenomena to be observed. Um, the, the folks down South, I, I don't think they'll be able to see them. No, I've never seen them at 45. I've seen them in the grasslands though, which is right at 49. Okay. Um, okay. So maybe like, I don't know what the actual cutoff would be in it. And they might vary a little bit, but yeah. probably once, uh, once you get much below 48, I think probably it's, it's going to be pretty tough to, uh, to see them. And I think like your chances, like you said, probably 50 starts to become almost like an ideal latitude because, once you get so far north, see, it's just not dark enough at all to see them. So you have this sort of very narrow window, maybe somewhere between 47 and 48 at the southern extremes to maybe 55, 56, 57 at the northern extremes. So it's just like the small band around the earth where you can see these noctilucent clouds. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, maybe we'll just hop into what's happening in the night sky. We were talking about this as well, that there, it, it's it's a great month to be out because, of course, the beautiful uh, warm weather and everything. But this is not an event-packed month of night sky events, unfortunately. I guess maybe the best way to put it. Yeah, this one a little more basic. Uh, not much planetary stuff happening, and which kind of contributes to it. But nonetheless, we can go through the list, and there's a, there's a few things for folks to check out this month. Yeah. July 1st, first week of July. This is a, an interesting one. Haven't tried this one before. And that is spotting Arcturus during the day with the unaided eye. Have you ever tried to see any of the nighttime stars in the daytime, Shane? I don't think I've ever tried for stars. Like I've seen Jupiter and Venus during the daytime, but yeah. not a star. I don't think think i think i've tried to see like Sirius, but i've never i don't think i've ever been successful at seeing them of course you have to be pretty careful especially considering arcturus is getting towards the west but if you were uh, looking up you know and being safe about it putting a building between you and the sun and then kind of getting things uh, correctly oriented you know could be something worth trying mm-hmm. july 3rd we have the full moon i think july 3rd is actually a holiday here isn't it? i think that's our Canada Day holiday in in lieu of the fact that uh, July 1st, I think, falls on the Saturday this year. Yeah, I think you're right. So full moon is is then, which is fine, because we still don't even have anything like darkness here until we get into about the second week or so of July, at least for us and those people that are hanging out around 50 degrees north latitude. July 7th, and really this is just after midnight, on July 6th, at least for us, Saturn and the moon will be three degrees apart after midnight. So basically, if you stay up very late or later on the 6th and wait for it to get dark and you look towards kind of like the east, southeast, you'll see the moon just sitting below Saturn in the uh, very late evening sky. So I put a little finer chart in here for about 1230 uh, a.m., 
So just after midnight, even right up midnight, you uh, probably can start to see them rising uh, more or less towards your your east. And I put my little finder there. I think for us, it, it would be a nice little binocular view uh, and really wide field telescope, like a little 60 millimeter with a two inch eyepiece or really wide one and a quarter should be able to get both moon and Saturn in the same field. We need to be able to see the lunar craters at the same time as Saturn's rings. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, one other quick comment too, um, the night before, so on the 6th, um, the moon's northern polar region will be kind of tilted towards us a little bit more due to lunar libration. So um, kind of a neat opportunity to maybe see some, some, you know, northern things on the moon that aren't easily observed otherwise. Hmm. Very cool. On the 7th, this is sort of the seventh proper in the evening of the seventh, just after sunset, Venus is going to be at its greatest illumination extent, and it's going to be pretty close to Mars and Regulus in the evening sky, just hanging above the Western horizon, just after sunset at about, well, 930 for us, might be a little bit earlier for those south of us, a little bit later for those north of us. And I did a screen capture just from my planetarium software, Shane, it's still only at like sort of a quarter phase right now. Yeah. Yeah. It always amazes me how bright Venus is, despite how much is in shadow for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, it could be worthwhile taking a look. I, I haven't taken a look at it recently. The uh, Even when it's been clear enough to see it and the smoke hasn't been in recently, the uh, bugs, the mosquitoes have just been atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. With the wet weather that we've had, the, the mosquitoes are quite active. <laughs> There's a, a large population of them. I've been getting good at killing them. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm not joking. I've actually been like honing my skills at killing them. Last week, I wasn't good enough. And I ended up getting them after they'd either bitten me or, or my wife. And so I was, you know, getting the the blood spatter. So I got, it's like, I, I got to start getting these things before they're biting us. Cause it's really just getting to be a horror show in here. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It really is. Uh, also on July 7th, this is kind of neat. I like, uh, hunting down these asteroids once in a while. This one is 15 Uno Mia and it shines at magnitude 8.8 just off of the handle of the teapot of Sagittarius. So a, a prominent area and should be able to find an eighth magnitude. You want to use like your planetarium software and then you can either, you could take an image of it or you could sketch it and then come back the next night and see how much it's moved. But that would even be visible in binoculars at magnitude 8.8 from a reasonably dark site and good Southern yeah. horizon. People should be able to see that. Eh? Yeah. Super accessible. Like anything with binoculars is, is wonderful. It means a lot more people can observe it. Unamia is a large asteroid in the inner asteroid belt discovered by Annabelle de Gasperi in July of 1851, named after Unamia, representing order and law in Greek mythology. I didn't think there was a whole heck of a lot of order and law in Greek mythology. It all seems to be about people doing the wrong thing and getting thrown up into the sky, but I could be wrong there. <laughs> Unamia is the largest stony S-type asteroid with a diameter of 250 kilometers, about 300 kilometers across in, in total. And it orbits the sun every 4.3 years. Shane, do you have any of the, you, you collect, I was going to say you collect asteroids. You don't collect asteroids. 
you have not been to Asteroid City. Um, but have you uh, collected any of the stony type meteorites in your meteorite collection? Yes, I have. Yep. So I can't remember which meteor uh, uh, it's related to, but I do have one or two. I, I think this would be sort of the parent of all stony type meteors. Ooh, so wow. I, 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 th I think that's one of the relationships of some of these is that originally they were large bodies and then they eventually like sort of got cobbled down a little bit. So hmm. that would be a cool one for you. To, you could hold that meteorite in your hand and then look at the, the parent body perhaps. Yep. And uh, yeah, that would be kind of neat, actually. Just the, the connection there. July 11th, we have the moon and Jupiter, but you'll need to be much further west, like Japan or Hawaii, maybe New Zealand, in order to see them really close together in the night sky. Because for us, they're close-ish. You might be able to get, I think you can get them in binoculars, but just, just barely. But again, pretty cool to see one of the bigger, brighter planets and the moon seeing the moon or the seeing the lunar craters and then seeing the moons of Jupiter surrounding Jupiter is uh, is a pretty cool sight. I've taken that view quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, that would be neat. On July 17th, the full moon and the Perseids begin. The peak is August 13th. So did you, I think you must have put that note in, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I snuck in the note about the like, Perseids. Yeah, from? yeah. Nor normally we wait until like kind of the peak month for meteor shower reports. But uh, I thought with the Perseids, you know, there's there's weeks before the pinnacle and then weeks after the pinnacle where you can still see these things. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly July 17th being full moon, eh, probably not the best night to try to take in any of the Perseids. However, um, you know, it is sort of significant in that that's a good time to start looking for them because uh, the intensity will increase until August 13th. Hmm. One, one other thing too about the 17th, actually would be the 18th. Um, and this is more for our friends uh, in Europe. Um, Vesta passes one degree north of Aldebaran uh, at about, I think it looks like three three o'clock BST. So quite, uh, you know, in the middle of the night or early morning hmm. and uh, Vesta would be magnitude 8.3. So some binoculars uh, would be needed, but you know, a neat opportunity to see it pass a bright star. Hmm. That would be cool. July 19th. This, I put this in the calendar, I guess, but I don't really see it in now that I run my software. I feel like I've made a mistake. It says, Mars, Mercury, Venus, and Moon form a broken W in the western sky after sunset. Well, I put broken in into our notes here, but in my calendar, uh, the RASC observer's calendar, I have Mars, Mercury, Venus, and Moon form a W in the western sky after sunset. But I put an image here. To me, I don't. I think I'm missing a dot to make it a W. <laughs> yeah, we sort of just have a. Uh like a, a line graph of, of sales, you know, peaks yeah. and valleys, <laughs> peaks and valleys. Exactly. <laughs> this is where things were going badly. We end on a bad note with mercury. No, yeah. but yeah. yeah, just kind of, uh, it, I think it's going to be a neat looking pattern. I don't think it's really going to be a W though. I'm not sure why I put that in. Hmm. They'll have to cut your pay. Yeah. <laughs> I think they already did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that could be a fun one to try to see on uh, July 19th. That should be visible for anybody 
Uh, I think you'll get that, that grouping. Actually, right, Regulus is in and amongst there. So you have Mars, Regulus, Venus, Moon, Mercury, all sort of hanging out in the Western sky. I think it will really catch people's attention. I think that's going to look like something. I've, yeah. I've noticed in the past, Shane, that the, these sort of events are almost hard to sort of predict what they're going to look like because sometimes things really don't look like much. Like if you think of that Jupiter, Saturn, you know, super major conjunction or whatever everybody was, was calling it, uh, you know, even running in the software, it looked, huh, that looks kind of neat. But then when you saw it, it was super cool. And then sometimes just when you have another object, then it really takes on a different appearance. And I think this is just going to be one of those times where you have so many bright things hanging out together in the night sky. That is a rare event. And it's going to look like a rare event. I think it's just going to look really neat, especially if you have maybe uh, a camera and some foreground, like a you know a church or a mosque steeple or something like that. You could have a really nice, beautiful uh, photograph. You know, some mountains in the background, maybe be pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And let's see, July 20th, Mars and the moon, they're going to be about three degrees apart. You have Mars, the moon, and again, you still have Regulus, Venus, and Mercury. It's just like a several night period of time where you're going to have all these things hanging out together over, uh, you know, really from about the uh, 18th to the 21st. It's the, all this stuff is hanging out together in the nighttime sky. It's going to look pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. July, July 27th. You put another one in here. I'm going to let you. I'm, you're just messing with me today. I'm a pirate. I'm hijacking <laughs> today. Yeah. <laughs> we should have done the, 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 the week where we, we talk with our uh, talk like a pirate or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know if I could do that for 45 minutes, maybe 45 seconds, but I can, I'm from the Maritimes though. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's natural for you. It's natural. Yeah. So I added this one here and it's sort of tongue in cheek in a way, but, um, on July 22nd, Pluto reaches opposition. So, <laughs> so this would be the best time to look at Pluto for any Pluto hunters or observers. However, it is still magnitude 14.4. So you're going to need a, a pretty good telescope for that. Uh, the interesting thing though, is it's about a degree and a half South of M 75. So you sort of have a reference to get you into the right neighborhood. Um, but you'll still need a detailed star chart because certainly Pluto will just look like a very faint star. Mm -hmm. You were looking, were you looking at the sky at night? Yeah. 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 Okay. And do they have one of those detailed charts in that for the month of July? Uh, for Pluto? Yeah. Or no, they do not. Oh, okay. So in Sky and Telescope, I was just looking at it last night. I'm not sure if it's still in the shelves or not, but their July edition has a really, really great detailed Pluto chart. It's like over oh. two pages. Like it's like a almost like a centerfold. And and it 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 shows all the stars way down and faint so that you can uh, if you can, I think typically you can now order the back. Um, catalog of of magazine or magazines. So you can just go onto the Sky and Telescope website and even just order the July edition if it's not on uh, your newsstand still. And that that can be handy if you do want to hunt down Pluto. I think that's that's really mm-hmm. the best bet. And then as well, in our RASC Observer's Handbook, we also uh, typically will plot the uh, path of Pluto around its, uh, its opposition. But magnitude 14.4, I think we're, we're talking about a really good 
12 or 14 inch instrument under extremely dark skies to uh, be able to uh, have a pretty good chance at seeing just the uh, the object in itself and in, yeah. with any great certainty, not just flashing in and out. Yeah, that and that's why I started that off with tongue in cheek. This is this is a really hard observation. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, nonetheless, if you if you really want to see Pluto, this is a, a great. Well, this is probably as good as it'll ever get. Yeah. Have you ever hunted Pluto down, or just even seen it through another telescope? Um, I've tried, but unsuccessful. Uh, I really didn't give it the effort needed. Um, and I don't think I've ever been being around anybody looking for it. So no, I don't believe so. I, I have tried to hunt it down myself and I've gotten into this situation where I, I, you know, back a long time ago with my eight inch Dobsonian when it was uh, a little bit brighter. Cause I think it peaked out at magnitude 12.9 or something like that. When I was first getting into astronomy it was one of those situations where I was looking at it and I knew I had the field and I'm like, okay, some of the light hitting my eye comes from Pluto. I'm just not sure which one it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that was my experience. Like I, I'm sure like I would, I chased it down with my 12 inch um, and I'm sure I had the right star field. Yeah. But I didn't really, like, I wasn't serious enough to have a detailed chart to know exactly which star or point of light really uh, was Pluto. Um, so I, you know, I think I saw it. I just couldn't tell you which one, which point of light in that field was Pluto. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember sketching and I had never sketched before and like putting this little dot on the, just like the sea of white page. And I'm like, well, this will be helpful. <laughs> You know, I have no idea what I'm doing here, right? So, yeah, yeah um, I think I tried. I think I even had like a few clear nights and, and I kind of decided, okay, I guess this is as close as I'm going to get to having hunted down. And then I have, I have been with observers who have hunted it down and then they've headed in the telescope and then they just, okay, it's just off this star. And then you're like looking and then it's sort of like the same experience because once you, once you see it, it's still just a pinpoint of light it really does just look like a fairly faint star and again i i never really felt like a hundred percent certain that okay i'm i'm seeing it so that that's kind of my pluto story so i'm glad you put it in that's pretty interesting and it's just south of m75 yes in sagittarius july 25th the lunar straight wall is visible what is what is the lunar straight wall it's on the moon but what is it yeah, this one, so clear, clear, obscure effect. This one seems to be, uh, or, or at least recently, it, it's been visible almost every month, it seems. And uh, anyway, a clear, clear, obscure effect is known to photographers, probably more than astronomers, but it's really just a play of, of shadows and light uh, or illuminated surfaces. So these clear, obscure effects on the moon only happen at certain points in the month when the illumination from the sun is just right. Uh, and it, you know, will create a shadow and maybe illuminate mountain peaks and create these neat things to look at. Like the lunar X is one of the more famous ones, uh, but the lunar straight wall is really neat too. And it's, it's quite large and, um, it really just looks like kind of a straight black line on the moon. It, it's quite neat. July 26th, Mercury and Venus are going to be in the evening twilight again, all these objects are hanging out. We have Mars, Regulus, Mercury, and Venus still hanging out in that western sky. So really kind of like that last two weeks of the month of July, we're going to have these hanging out all together. 
I don't know that you'll be able to see, in fact, I'm, I'm almost going to say you won't be able to see anything on these planets mm-hmm. because they are going to be so low and they aren't well placed and they're really far away from us at present. Mars is just, if you're, you're going to count yourself lucky just to be able to resolve Mars into a disc, but it's yeah. going to look, yeah. it's going to look neat naked eye and maybe a great photo opportunity. Yeah. Better, better for the camera probably than at the eyepiece. July 19th, we have the South Delta Aquarid Meteor Shower peaking. I don't know why this gets shunted down. I think I meant the 29th. I've made a typographical error there. Yes. I'll say that again. July 29th, the South Delta Aquarid Meteor Shower peaks. This one, I really like. This is one of my favorite meteor showers because and I think this is the one I was observing this with Rakuziak. We we had him on talking about light pollution of back in February or something like that. I'd like to have him on again to talk about meteor showers because he really knows an awful lot about meteor showers. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, describing this one to me, sort of like having a tour guide of the nighttime sky right beside me one one night. And we were uh, watching these ones come in. They were nice and slow. And they almost like had this bowl light appearance where they all kind of just come very slowly into the atmosphere. And there's not a lot of them, but it's it's really beautiful. Kind of got me into seeing some of these other sort of lesser known meteor showers. Okay. Yeah. Very neat. No comments this month. Any comments on that chain? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're, we're in a bit of a dry spell uh, for bright comets Um, that can always change, but certainly no predictions for it right now. Yeah. uh, Magnitude 10.4 was the brightest. And we kind of, we kind of cut these off at about 9.9. Once things get brighter than magnitude 10, then you can start maybe hunting them down with binoculars from a dark site and become visible and moderate instruments, 10.5, 10.4. Things are getting a little bit faint and uh, just even seeing them as a small glowing fuzzball would be all you can see. But uh, with that, what I did is I decided for just for a change, I put a, not that I'm going to do this every month, but I thought, hey, I'll put a feature deep sky object in. And I thought, what better object to point people to observe at than Messier 4 for the month Ooh. of July? What do you think about that? Yeah, great choice. I love this one. Excellent choice, sir. Excellent choice. Messier 4 M4 is a globular cluster in the constellation of Scorpius, the scorpion. And it shines at about magnitude 5.5 or 5.6, I guess I probably should have put. And that's pretty bright. uh, But unfortunately, it rides low here on the southern horizon as seen from Canada. But if you're further south or in the southern hemisphere, it's going to be right up overhead. And M4 was discovered by de Chesaro in 1746 and included in Nicolas de la Caille's catalog. Charles Messier separately cataloged it because he worked with those other observers. And Charles Messier cataloged it in 1764. That's where it gets the M designation from okay. the Messier catalog. M4 is the only globular cluster that he could resolve in his modern modest instruments. And Therefore, it became the first globular cluster ever resolved. It's super easy to find because Messier 4 is just over one degree to the west or just to the right of the bright star Antares in the eye of the scorpion. And M4 is also 36 arc minutes in diameter. And so that means that it's a little bit larger, but I guess about 20% larger than the full moon. It's huge. 
It's a diffuse patch of binoculars and a four-inch telescope of really any kind and style will start resolving it into a mass of glittering individual stars, the brightest of which are magnitude 10.8. And small instruments under good conditions will reveal a bright central bar of these stars running north-south. That was first noted by William Herschel. And the core is very bright, but it's not concentrated. What we see is star chains kind of spiraling out. More advanced observers might take a look for NGC 6144, which is even closer to Antares. It's just about half degree northwest. And I like to be able to use my five inch. If I get a really good night, put my five inch on Antares and then look at M4 and then try to pick out NGC 6144 just above and sort of they form a uh, kind of sort of a triangle, but it's neat to be able to see those kind of three things, the really bright red star of Antares, the huge globular cluster with the beautiful star chains of M4, and then the really faint, but kind of punchy NGC 6144 makes a beautiful area. It's one of my favorite regions of the sky. So I just thought I put that in there at the end of our notes to give people maybe a little target to uh, to hunt after. Not sure what your thoughts are on M4 though, Shane. Was that a good pick? Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful cluster. And uh, I really like the reference to that central bar. Um, that uh, That's something that I've observed multiple times and it's it's quite neat. It, it's it's sort of like the detail within the object. You know, you can have a quick glance at M4 and check it off your list and say you observed the globular, but there's certainly things to observe within it, which makes it, uh, you know, kind of interesting. I, I like that. And maybe, um, maybe just to add too, is if you want a real challenge and you're in that neighborhood, Antares is a double star and uh, see if you can split it. Um, and what makes it difficult is it's, you know, Antares primary uh, is quite bright, whereas the secondary oh, yeah. is not quite so bright, and uh, it's it's quite it's quite challenging to split. Um, some people uh, that have split it report that the uh, companion almost takes on sort of a greenish tone. Greenish, yeah, yeah, yeah. So give it a try. I was able to split it last year with the uh, the four inch uh, TSA that I have. Mm. Um, so I'd like to do that again, just to confirm it, but, um, it, 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 you need, you need really good sky conditions for this one. It's similar to trying to split uh, serious A and B. Very nice. Anything else to add to this show, Shane? No, I'm, uh, I'm all out of things for July, Chris. So am I, and, uh, I'll just conclude by saying thanks for listening, everybody. Shane and I are off to the central bar to grab a pint. And you can reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>